Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by uh, people that I kind of found on the street because uh, we had a we had an absence. So, uh, taking the place of the usual seeker is the unusual seeker, Teddy. Say hello, Teddy. Hi, everybody. This is Teddy. Woo! She Woo! is uh, one of our uh, commenters on the Skeptics uh, and Seekers, and um, someone that I have not yet publicly called batshit crazy. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> someone put the timer to see how long that Hope takes. Hope <laughs> eternal, David, and anything's possible. Oh, God. Um, th- yeah, moving right, moving right along. The uh, sane one in the group uh, was not able to make it, but uh, <laughs> taking their place, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello there. Hi, I'm Sarah, <laughs> and I think I've been on a few podcasts before, um, and I'm out in France at the moment and being involved in this uh, discussion today because I was uh, involved in the charismatic uh, vineyard slash Toronto thing back in the 80s and 90s, so okay. that will be my contribution. Good, good. She, she, she has actually more contribution, people. That wasn't it right there. That was She's got more. Um and uh, following Sarah, uh, because it's not right to just have one person with an accent, uh, we have uh, Matt from Kansas with the worst fake British accent you've ever heard. Say hello, Matt. Oh, well, hello, my lovelies. You see what I mean? <laughs> no. Um, and uh, rounding out the panel, uh, we have Andrew from uh, Various Endeavors. Hello, everybody, and uh, looking forward to the show. Okay, uh, very good. So uh, what I'm going to do before I make my opening statement, by the way, we're going to be talking about miracles. This is our big miracle show today. Uh, I wrote a blog post. You can download it in ebook form. Uh, it is called something like Miracles, the Most Under... Uh, I'm sorry, the Most Overpromised and Undelivered Christian Claim. And uh, we're going to talk about... That subject today, not necessarily the ebook or the blog post, but you will be able to get it. Uh, and uh, I do have a little bit of an opening statement, uh, not much, but before that, I just want to give everybody uh, a, a, a few minutes to kind of introduce themselves and their uh, initial thoughts on miracles and what brings them here. And so I'm actually going to start off uh, with Andrew uh, to kick us. Uh, kick us off. Uh, each person, you have about five minutes for this introduction. Don't abuse it. Well, I won't need five minutes. Um, my background is uh, is twofold from uh, the university perspective. I majored in computer science and theology. Uh, eventually, I realized that uh, I was supporting two ways of looking at the world. Uh, one of them included miracles, and I couldn't find any evidence of miracles in the other way that I looked at the world. So uh, some of the listeners will know that I'm a guy with one eye. Um, I am willing to bet every listener here that by the end of this show, I'll still have one eye. My point is this. It's pretty easy to get me to accept that there might be the supernatural. All we have to do is have a miracle before this show is over. I'm a test case. 
I've offered this on this podcast before and on numerous other podcasts. Now, will that mean that I'll accept an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-hating creator of the universe that supports or does not support torture chambers for people who uh, don't believe in it? Well, probably not, but at least we'd have room to get the party started. Uh, so, this is one skeptic's call for actually doing a miracle and not talking about them. Okay, uh, Matthew. Oh, well, hello. As um, I podcast with Andrew over at uh, what is now called uh, Proscenium and uh, occasionally also on Still Unbelievable. So some of you may be familiar with me and uh, my backstory. I grew up in the missionary culture in Zambia, Central Africa. So I was there for my formative years. So I'm very familiar with the uh, fundamentalist uh, Christian missionary culture and the effect that it has on uh, foreign cultures. And I'm very familiar with uh, what happens when miracle claims spread uh, and you hear them as legend. And I'm familiar with many stories like that, although having never witnessed one firsthand, all I have ever experienced is a third party uh, third-hand stories and uh, recole recollections. Uh, later in life, grew up in the UK as, um, or became an adult as in the UK as, uh, uh, and still very much an evangelical Christian, involved in charismatic churches, even involved in a prayer for healing team for several years. No, didn't see a healing. And um, probably the biggest, most frustrating turning point for me on the subject of miracles was uh, sitting at my mother's funeral about 12 years ago now. I had left the faith at that point and seeing or listening to the minister tell bits from her life. And there's a very dramatic point in her life where she was um, uh, kidnapped uh, very briefly and uh, released later that day. It's uh, quite a long and distressful and very distasteful story. And um, the the minister told an account of the story some 30 years after the event happened at her funeral and uh, uh, described a part of it as a miracle, which me sitting there listening to that account knew it was a straight out lie. And that kind of uh, account really, really frustrates me. It, it's a deeply personal and painful uh, account. And to, to see not just misrepresentation, but outright lies told uh, from the front of a church like that and claiming something that never happened to actually be a miracle was a very, very clear example to me of how within a single lifetime, stories that are ordinary and normal can become over uh, retellings and uh, the fragility of human memory become something other than ordinary and normal. Um, if a, a kidnapping can be in any way described as ordinary and normal. So I am very hard-nosed when it comes to claims of miracles. I demand to see evidence. I have seen many, many claims in my lifetime and not a single iota of evidence. So I, I am very much a, a hard person to convince uh, when it comes to miracles. So that is my, my challenge to everybody. Andrew's eye story, I've heard it multiple times. That would really give me pause for thought, but First, let's see it happen. And that is me. Sarah.
Hello, sorry, I was just unmuting my mute button. Um, and also, I jumped the gun a little bit at the beginning by introducing myself uh, in a bit more detail then when I should have saved it for now. So anyway, um, just, yeah, I've uh, been also brought up in the UK um, for most of my life. I'm now, I now live in France, but uh, I was brought up in, uh, in the Christian home. Uh, we went to a variety of churches, um, starting with Baptists and Methodists and Salvation Army uh, in France when we go and visit friends and family over there um, but also then uh, for a significant chunk of my adolescence we were in the charismatic movement um, which was part of uh, what was happening in the States um, and later in life I also went to the Vineyard which was part of uh, the John Wimber movement in the States as well. For me they were pretty similar to a lot of what we'd done in churches before in terms of theology they just had a slightly more lively music and uh, they professed, uh, you know, miraculous um, spiritual gifts. So we were very much into words of knowledge, prophecy, tongues. We believed in healing um, and that sort of thing. So uh, at the time, it would have not required very much for me to um, to believe a miracle had happened. I think if you have an, an a priori belief in miracles, you are wide open to believing uh, pretty much anything somebody suggests is a miracle. So I was very much uh, willing to to take that on board. But uh, I was always a little bit suspicious. It never sat quite right. I was always a little bit sceptical. Um, and I think looking back, I can see most of it was coincidence, uh, a certain way of framing things. Um, and what really kind of shook me was when I, I thought we were the only ones who did have miracles and everybody else's religion was pretty dead and there was no sort of uh, supernatural things happening there. Or if they were, they would have been from the devil. So that was pretty easy um, to, uh, to to write off. But uh, with the advent of the Internet, um, we can obviously look at uh, the other faith claims and Hindus and and uh, and um, Islam and, and uh, you know, all those all religions sort of stating that they have miracle claims and people uh, suggest that their deity has in, intervened so that was a bit of a an eye-opener and from then on it went downhill so and now I am uh, I suppose agnostic would be a fairly um, kind way to put it um, I, as I say 90% 95% of miracles I hear about I think you can probably explain uh, but I do accept there are a few things in life that we we don't know what the answer is to to that. We can't explain how it's happened. Uh, they are highly unusual. They do seem to suspend the laws of uh, the natural world. So, yeah, fine. Uh, it wouldn't really change my view too much either way now if there was a miracle uh, to be sort of proved uh, one way or the other. So I would just put it down to one of those things we don't necessarily understand, whereas you'd asked me 10 years ago, it was it would have been easy to explain and uh, it was all part of, the, of God's plan. But I'm no longer there, and that's probably me in a nutshell. Okay. And uh, Teddy? Hi, everybody. Uh, you all may know from my comments, uh, anybody that's read them, but I'm a criminal defense attorney, and uh, in many ways, I too am a skeptic uh, about many things. I don't just take a bunch of things on faith. I do require a lot of evidence, and so during the course of our conversation, uh, 
some people, some of the skeptics might find that I agree with a lot of the things that they are saying uh, in having looked at uh, David's position paper. There are many points that he makes that I agree with, and uh, but there are a number of points that he makes that I disagree with, and, and we'll, you know, be discussing those things. Uh, I think that in being an, an attorney, a lot of times I view things in terms of the evidence, and I view things in terms of whether there is either a preponderance of the evidence or proof beyond reasonable doubt. And so that's how I view the world. That's how I make decisions about what to believe, what not to believe. Uh, and I think in terms of the word miracle, I think that that's a, a word that is very overused and misused and things that are being described as a miracle might be better described as providence um, or just, you know, coincidence or just something good that has happened. So I have a different standard of uh, miracle, possibly, than than some of the other uh, folks on here. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how everything pans out in terms of our definitions. But I was brought up in the Greek Orthodox Church, and uh, I would consider it pretty mainstream. We, uh, there's no talk of you know, hellfire and brimstone, no speaking in tongues, no faith healers, uh, nothing oppressive, nothing to uh, make someone feel uh, or get a bad taste in their mouth about God or religion. There was a lot of positivity. No, there were rules that are naturally associated with religion and God. But there was never a sense that it was oppressive. It was the same way as, uh, as what atheists would talk about ethics. And it's, you know, ethics are about rules as well. So um, that's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of miracles when I was around 16 or 17 years old, I first became aware of the Shroud of Turin. And I consider that to be a miracle. I, I think of miracles as being very rare. Um, and that is what I consider a miracle. So anyway, uh, I'll let you get, let's get back to David, but that's just a little bit about what my thoughts are. Okay. Uh, very good. So I am going to start where I suspect I'm going to end. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. So before I give you just a few minutes of that, I want to read something. Um, by any measure, the milk miracle, which began September 21st, 1995, was an unusual religious event. The experience cut across the entire social strata. The most simple of people to the most educated of doctors, lawyers, and engineers. The most ardent and consistent worshippers 
had the experience, as did those for whom religion meant little and God was a dim concept. Christians, Muslims, Sikhs, and atheists shared in having their offerings accepted by the Lord Ganesha, who even obliged TV news cameras with live coverage in many countries. In Sanskrit, the milk miracle would be called, and I'm sorry, my Sanskrit is bad, can't pronounce that. All observed the miracle in speechless wonder. It was like the union with God, said one engineer. This was not the result of any mere human's entreaty. This is I a, watched that this week. It was amazing. It's yes. the Hindu Hindu milk miracle, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Nineteen ninety five it happened. Nineteen ninety five. Yeah. It happened and it's repeatable. You could probably perform it today. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I want to go try it. <laughs> I, I was looking for a statue around the house. I haven't got any Ganesh statues, but yes, um, I was no. thinking another one might work. I'm low on Ganesh. Um, yeah. But uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the Milk Miracle, what it is, a, uh, a man, a worshiper, was, was praying uh, one day, uh, September 1995, and he made a milk offering to his god Ganesh in the form of an elephant statue. And he offered the milk to one of the statue's tusks. And to his amazement, the statue drank it. And talk of a miracle started to spread. But it didn't end there. It didn't become some kind of legend. It was repeated. People picked it up and they started offering milk offerings to their statue Ganesh's. And lo and behold, their statues were drinking their milk. Now, apparently this wasn't happening before 1995. Go figure. Don't know. Can't tell you anything about the significance of that date. But this started happening, and it kind of moved up the chain. Uh, So the churches started reproducing this miracle in their churches with their big statues that had been there for years and years. And they would put the milk up to the statue, and the statue in front of everyone would drink it. They invited the news. The news would come in. They would put their cameras there. And the, and the, the trick would be done right there. People could examine them. The doctors, lawyers, engineers, atheists, everybody, they saw this. This happened. It happens. Now, are there explanations? Sure. But no one's been able to actually prove that this is not a miracle. Honestly, this is a freaking miracle if you're going to talk about miracles. What? Check out the footage. It is really impressive. I, I did. There was there's just literally this this little tusk is like slurping up just teaspoons just of, of milk. <laughs> yeah, and it's because this guy who you say was pre- he had some sort of dream that Ganesh wanted milk and was really really wanted some milk. So he tried it. It worked. And then they phoned the Big Delhi Temple, and the Big Delhi Temple started you know asking everyone else. That's how it got diffused quite quickly and started happening everywhere. It's not really <clears throat> this kind of a wave going through the country like they might want to frame it as it was literally kind of a top down 
uh, you know, call to all the other temples and then all the local ones to say, is this happening as well? So they all had, had a go and sure enough, it, it happens. You have to kind of suspend um, your, critic- <laughs> your sceptical criticism when you look at the statue that is actually covered in milk and there's milk all around it as well that's pouring off. You kind of, you just have to just look at the spoon. The spoon is going in, that's for sure, but don't worry about the milk that it that is running off the table. So we might talk about a little bit of how this is done. (laughs) Okay. Right here, can can you, I don't know if you folks can hear that little jangle on the mic. I I am holding in my hand, I've been on mute for a few minutes now, and I'm holding in my hand a small elephant. I happen to have it because it was given to me as a a Christmas gift uh, a couple of years ago, and and it stays in my uh, little bowl of of uh, knickknacks, the place that I put my car keys and that kind of thing. And uh, I also have, I also have a glass of milk sitting here mm. on my counter, and uh, I've got just as much milk in my glass <laughs> now as when I picked up the elephant. So. Maybe I've got the wrong kind of elephant. You know, do I need to dedicate do. this little it elephant needs to, to Ganesh? Be, it you needs know, to um... be a Ganesh. It's like okay, Ganesh, I offer right, this Kate. elephant. Every, every fat man statue <laughs> is not a Buddha, okay? No, no, sure. Ganesh, I, I offer this elephant to you now, and I ask that you sanctify this elephant in your name. That's not how it's done. I don't think you're taking oh. this seriously. Okay. Yeah, okay, come on now. <laughs> When we're looking at miracles, first of all, David, you just basically brought up some allegation, right? Uh, A report. Now, I'd like to know who wrote this. It's on video. Who did they they interview? It's on everybody. It's on interview. Uh, video. They've interviewed everybody. You can see lots of examples of it. It's well, yeah, not there are hidden. people talking about aliens in that same respect. Wow, you sound like you're this, being this really footage. skeptical. Yeah, some I mean, of, this, I some told some you of them I think they can fly skeptical. into the cloud. These are some these of those are aliens. This I'm telling you, this is not a. You can see it for yourself. <laughs> it's you could. It's probably repeatable. Now, let me just for the audience. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, if it is repeatable, yeah, it's been repeated many times in many okay. places. If- if film. it is repeatable in the way that we do with science, then that becomes natural law, right? That's by definition not a miracle. No, not not at all, because uh, Ganesh is thirsty. Ganesh be thirsty. Now, at some point, Ganesh is going to stop drinking. He didn't start drinking until 1995. Why didn't we hear reports of this before then? There were Ganesh statues. have been Ganesh statues since forever. Um. But so I can make in 1995, that are, Ganesh got know, thirsty, told a person that he wanted milk, and he has been showing this sign to people in a way that people can see it, repeat it, and believe it. How is that well, not a miracle? Well, I'd like to have some people that I find credible to go and examine this Ganesh statue. So despite all and the people it was who in the done New York this, Times, it was in the on the BBC yeah. News, everybody reported well, it. It was a, it was quite a big thing in 1995. It went around the world in terms yeah, of Yeah, I I'd never heard of the Ganesh thing. Oh, well, and, you, you may have been um, in a Christian church at a time because they, but, they didn't know, talk about it. 
do we all get that same uh do we all get that same privilege that we can just say of miracles i want this to be investigated by people that i find credible do you do you think that that's an okay uh statement for all of us to raise in regard to any miracle is it okay if we all say i want to find people that i find credible to examine the evidence well look it's it's up no, 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 to no, hold on that's a, that's a yes or no question is is it yes or is it no it's okay for any of us to ask the same question that you asked. I want to be able yes, to bring. Okay. Yes, it is. So and, before, and reason, before, before you go on, I would just like mm-hmm. to say that was just the opening of my opening statement. So I'm going to get back to my opening <laughs> statement. Um, <laughs> can I just explain no, why? That no, you cannot. Yes? You, may, you may explain why later. Hold your thought. And whoever the mouth breather is, back away from your microphone. And coming from me, <laughs> I have four bad breath noises on my microphone. Anyway, um, let, me, let, me, let me just set Ganesh aside for a moment. Though I swear before the week is over, I am going to have a genuine Ganesh statue. Um, this, I must do this. So at any rate, uh, I just wanted to open with that particular uh, story. Uh, because for many people around the world... That is their shroud. It is their, their thing that they can point to and say, oh, yes, this is real. And it validates everything that they believe uh, about their God and their religion. It certainly uh, tick, ticks the box of uh, unusual. It ticks the box of, excuse me, uh, happening within a religious context. Uh, and as I've been told by some of the brightest uh, Christians of all, it doesn't even have to be, quote-unquote, un- supernatural. It, it could be a matter of timing within a religious context that this unusual event occurred. It ticks these boxes. And for millions of people, it is a verified, bona fide, honest-to-goodness miracle that I know of zero Christians who give a tinker's damn about. And so I want to take up the mantle of the Christian with regard to other people's miracles and start off by saying three things. I am unimpressed. I am unconvinced. And I am uninterested. So first of all, I'm unimpressed. It's, it's not a matter of whether there is a naturalistic explanation or not. I am I, willing to accept the Hindu uh, belief. And by the way, this has been examined by uh, smart Hindus, okay? Um, not, by, by well-educated, uh, accomplished uh, Hindus, not, not just peasants. So put your, put your third world biases aside there for a moment. Uh, let's just accept it as... Miracle, a Ganesh miracle. I'm still unimpressed. Don't care. If if the if the best thing this Ganesh can do is make some statues slurp up milk, considering all of the problems in the world, especially the Hindu world, considering all that they go through, this God, this mighty, practically all-powerful God, the best he can do is have some statues drink up milk. By the way, shouldn't there be children drinking that milk? 
honestly, the statue should be producing milk, not drinking milk. I, I am unimpressed by what this God seems to be accomplishing uh, in the world. I am unconvinced. So yeah, I know there are, uh, you know, there's video and there are people who believe and they invite the press in to see it and it's not held behind some piece of glass in some uh, secret monastery. No, they, they let, their, let their miracles out uh, to be examined. And this is one of the things I like about Hindus because they tend to do this. They're, you know, other Hindu miracles, very similar. Come and look. Yeah, it's, a, it's an actual miracle. Uh, it's one of the things that sets them apart from Christian miracles. And still I'm unconvinced. Because I do know of some naturalistic explanations uh, for this event. Now, it doesn't matter. I can talk about it or I can not talk about it. it has You do know of naturalistic I do. explanations? I do. It has no relevance, though. Because well, it I can has give a you, lot of relevance. I can give I you natural, naturalistic explanations for every Christian claim miracle. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter whether we can come up with some possible naturalistic explanations or not. Well, I um, think it does. But I, am, I tend to define miracle in the way that Teddy is hinting at here, which is the idea that it could not happen by nature. Now, uh, most of the people that I argue with lately don't define it that way. Uh, but I think that if there is a naturalistic explanation, you can't go to the category of miracle. And even if you don't have an explanation, that just means you don't have an explanation yet. You, you have not eliminated the naturalistic explanation. Uh, and so there's nothing about this Ganesh miracle or any other Christian miracle for that matter that causes me to uh, eliminate all potential naturalistic explanations. So I am unconvinced by this actually being an act of a particular God. And for all I know, this could be the act of a different Hindu god. There are like uh, 330 million Hindu gods. I'm sure some of them are at war with each other. And so it could be that, uh, you know, one of the gods is trying to make Ganesh look silly by drinking milk instead of doing something decent. Um, and at some point, some Hindu is going to ultimately ask the question, why isn't this god giving us starving kids milk instead of drinking our starving kids milk? You know, maybe, maybe it's a rivalry type thing. Don't know. Not convinced. But finally, um, beyond being um, unconvinced and uh, whatever the first thing is I said, I am uh, also uninterested. It, it simply doesn't matter to me. I don't care if this is the uh, opening statement. I don't care if this was a legitimate miracle from a legitimate legitimate God. And I know that that sounds like a very strange, overly skeptical thing to say, but I just grant you that Ganesh is real and can do this. It doesn't matter. I have lived my life almost 50 years now without knowing about this and without caring about it. And it does not change the price of milk, which in my case is about six bucks a gallon for the milk that I drink. I still have to live my life and find a way to make another six bucks so I can buy another gallon of milk. I have to make another, you know, $1,500, you know, thereabouts to, to find a way to pay my mortgage. I've got to make a, uh, another uh, series of money to go see doctors and pay my doctor's bills. And I, I go through these processes in my life, and whether Ganesh sped out, uh, drank up some milk or not is just irrelevant to me. It's irrelevant. 
it, it doesn't change one factor in my life. And uh, Teddy on this panel has gone through her life not even knowing about this uh, event. I had actually heard of it before, but I didn't really look into it until recently. She's gone through her life not knowing about this event. Probably some of the other panelists have gone through this, uh, their lives not knowing about this event. And it doesn't matter to them. They're completely uninterested. They were, they're uninterested before this podcast. They'll be uninterested after this podcast. It won't matter. And so I, I put these three things out there for you and say that they are just as applicable to Christian miracles. Now, I'm just taking the part of the Christian as they look at the Hindu miracle. But I invite everyone else to take uh, this part, too, because I think it's pretty reasonable it's it's okay to be unimpressed, unconvinced, and uninterested because that is exactly the position the Christian takes with regard to other miracles. And with that, I think uh, perhaps some conversation should begin. So before opening the floodgates, sit on it. <laughs> I, I know you're all. I know you're all fit to burst. We got it. <laughs> give, that, give that person some milk. Um, <laughs> I I want to go through one more round of boring speeches, but it's important. And so this round, uh, take up to two minutes, uh, and give me your definition of miracle. Because we've got five people on the fa- panel, and we probably have five different definitions of what we're talking about. Uh, and so I'm going to start us off this time. Uh, people have heard my definition before, but just in case it's the first time you're tuning in, welcome. Uh, my definition of miracle um, is something that uh, is would be magic. I, and, and I guess you could say magic with a religious connotation, but it's still magic. It's something that simply cannot happen, not merely something that cannot be explained, but something that cannot happen in the natural world. And so if you understand the set of all possibilities in the natural world and then something happens outside of that, then that would be magic or a miracle, especially in, uh, in the context of uh, religion. Uh, Andrew, what's a miracle? Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I got to say, I think, you're, I think you're pretty hard on Ganesh. I'll, I'll answer about miracles in just a second. But it's, it's pretty clear to me that Ganesh cares about elephants with osteoporosis. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's the answer here. And I, I think it's uh, overly skeptical of you not to spot the reason that some god could care about creatures other than humans. Uh, elephants get osteoporosis, too, and they need milk. Okay. Now, I've done my part for Ganesh. And, and yet, uh, I seriously <laughs> doubt we're done with Ganesh uh, today. <laughs> so. Probably not. Okay. Uh, what is a miracle? Um, first of all, it probably doesn't matter overly much among all of us what I think a miracle is. What would, you know, if we were going to discuss a miracle, what I would actually do as a, as a reasonable person is say, tell me what your definition is and why you think you've seen one. And then we can talk about whatever it is that you think was a miracle. And and I wouldn't even have to start with my definition. We could could have a a reasonable conversation about miracles adopting any definition and and talking about where we think we might have seen a, a thing that fits that definition. But to be honest to the question, I viewed a miracle uh, when I was a Christian, uh, and that's been a long time. 
Uh, but I viewed a miracle as that thing. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt just a half a second. Andrew, um, due to personal reasons, I'm going to turn the program over to you for the next few minutes. Uh, and so as everyone gives their definitions, uh, I'm going to leave it to you to do the next thing if I am not back. Okay, sure. Carry on. No problem. Glad to do it. Okay. So just to finish that thought up then, a, a miracle was that thing that broke the laws of nature and did so in the context of the Christian God providing the necessary heard? motivating Can force to break physical law mute? and accomplish some end, whether that end was to uh, help a parishioner or to demonstrate that the Christian God existed or, or whatever it was. It was that thing that broke natural law and did so based on the power of Jehovah God. So, um, Matthew. Uh, hello, I'm, I'm very similar to what you and David already said. For me, a miracle needs to be something that we can confirm can't happen via any uh, known uh, natural, or it doesn't even have to be a known natural means, but something that we can confirm can't be done uh, naturally by any other explanation. That doesn't mean that that means that something that we don't, that we can't currently explain doesn't count. It has to be something that we can we can confidently say that there is no natural means by which it could possibly happen, whether we know that method or not. So, for example, rolling 24 double sixes doesn't count as a miracle, even though it's got a really very, very low probability of happening. We can explain that that could potentially happen naturally. Okay. Um, Teddy, I'm going to leave you to last. And the reason is that I, I want your definition of miracle to last longest in the listeners' minds. You're the only Christian on the panel. You ought to get the last word when we're doing these sort of definitional things. Sarah? Yes. Yeah, so I would say you guys are just children of the post-enlightenment <laughs> um, because um, a miracle was, um, I've read, was actually more uh, a vehicle to communicate myth, in which case that alleviates a lot of the problem. Going back to the Ganesh story, what was quite interesting uh, that I discovered about the Hindus is that they have no... A miracle for them is just a, something wonderful. It's just um, there's no need to explain it. You don't have to have any theology around it. You just it's just something wonderful. It's only um, recently since Hume uh, and sort of enlightened the post enlightenment and the print age where uh, we started uh, realizing that um, the world was knowable um, and it's no longer miracles weren't things that explained a difficult world, but they were. They needed now to be evidence-based and violations of nature and things like that. So it's, I'd say your views are actually more a product of our modern times, if you call the 1700s a modern time. But, um, uh, you know, in the past, miracles were for the Jews about, uh, uh, well, maybe for them it was a bit more about drama and the proof of existence of a, of a higher power um, and the power of this deity and control. Um, and also in the New Testament, even though the word apparently isn't used, it's more wonders and signs that are used rather than the word miracle. Uh, I think in the OT it's only used a couple of times. So this this word uh, is actually quite a modern invention, uh, and um, it was all about yeah wonder, seeing something wonderful. So I think today we use it um, 
in a kind of really loose definition often you know when a doctor says cool that's a miracle what they mean is something outside the bell curve something a bit unusual uh maybe unlikely or something they've never seen before but so i think we all know when we say oh this is a miracle but when we're talking about really hard evidence miracle in the hume sense of the word then um we are talking about maybe laws of uh of the natural world being suspended so i think each time you do almost have to define it uh each time you speak of it i suppose um that's what my feeling is on it nicely said and um excuse me Uh, so teddy i think that brings us around to you all right well i uh i pretty much agree uh mostly with uh, David, you, and Matthew, and largely with Sarah, more with Sarah towards the end of what her definition is. But uh, I would define a miracle as an act of God, which is good, and which temporarily overpowers the law of nature, and that there's a religious context that surrounds it so as to distinguish it from some sort of, uh, you know, phenomena or, or it's so, cause we have to have something to distinguish it from, from, you know, just something just being atypical. And, um, and I think that the point of a miracle is to give us a signal that God exists or to tell us something about something that God is trying to communicate to us. So I, I do think that miracles probably tend to be pretty rare, uh, true miracles. I think the word is, is very overused. Um, so, you know, I, I require a lot of hard evidence for miracles and in terms of, establishing a miracle i'm going to go with what david hume atheist david hume uh says and and he had and i the i will add or expand upon his definition a little bit uh because he referred to uh just testimony in terms of uh, evidence for a miracle but but you know there's there can be more than testimony for example the Shroud of Turin, we have physical evidence that can be examined with that. So uh, I like the standard that Hume says with the addition of just evidence in general, but he said, no testimony is sufficient to establish a miracle unless the testimony be of such a kind that its falsehood would be more miraculous than the fact which it endeavors to establish. So we would have to think that, you know, whatever the miracle is, for example, with the Shroud of Turin, uh, the explanations that people try to give for how it was created are so preposterous that trying to believe, for example, uh, the popular thing that is brought up with the Shroud of Turin is that some medieval forger uh, created it. Well, all of the things that this, you know, medieval forger uh, would have to do, that 
would be miraculous. And it is, it, you know, if you take Occam's razor, it's just more reasonable to think that this is, uh, that the shroud is Jesus's burial cloth because of all of the scientific evidence that supports it. So I'm going uh, to actually give you, sense. I'm going to cut you off here because I'm going to give you mm-hmm. a chance to go in more detail uh, on the mm-hmm. shroud a little bit later. Um, so uh, hold, uh, keep your, keep some of your powder dry uh, for that. We will do something that I dread, which is uh, either tackle the shroud or just let you babble on about it for a while. Either way, it, makes my eyes bleed. Um, but I know that the shroud is important. Um, I understand why it's important. Um, but I'm, I just, just definitionally speaking, though, it sounds like you are in broad agreement that a miracle does need to be something other than that which can be called nature. Yes, I am. Okay, and Sarah, if I heard you correctly, uh, your definition of miracle does include broadly things that can be called nature, just wondrous in the way that nature is wondrous and awesome sometimes. I think that's the way that it was viewed. I'm not sure if it's the sort of way we use the word today, but I would say How do you use it? How do I use it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we're all guilty of using it, you know, and, oh, that was a miracle. I, you know, I made the bus. You know, I got there on time when everything was set against me. Something unusual, something. But in terms of a Christian religious sense, it was something that I would have known was from God. I don't, I can't then define it beyond that because uh, he would have had to give me that knowledge that it was from him as well at that time. So if there was provi- um, providence, uh, something was provided that was, you know, really timely, if I'd had real certainty it was from God, I could have called it a miracle. So Okay, so um, you used a word there that I was hoping to bring Teddy in on. Uh, providence. Teddy, earlier on, you talked about providence. Um, yes. I, I know that um, my ilk used to talk about providence a lot because we didn't believe in overt miracles. But we did believe in providence. So, mm-hmm. uh, that said... Uh, how would you how would you differentiate providence from a miracle? Just just hearing Sarah speak just now, it's almost as if she was saying, and Sarah, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that a miracle is something that you know uh, what's from God specifically, a specific event, whereas providence is maybe God working in the background, but you don't actually have any direct knowledge that God did it. Kind of a hidden miracle, if you will. Was that to Sarah or to me? Well, so, uh, Sarah, first of all, does that is that kind of how you were talking about providence just just now? I was, yeah, I was saying for, for it to be called a miracle, for a, something to have spoken to your kind of faith, um, I would have had to really know it was from God, not just you know good things happening, because that would have seemed a bit loose. So, so what's However, providence? I can see. Uh, well, when some things come together that are really timely, and you and you and you've got that sense uh, that it was from God, uh, that you feel it would it wouldn't have happened otherwise. But how you prove that, I don't know. Um, and I'm talking with my ex-Christian hat on, sort of thing. That's what I would have thought. So yeah, God could you could give. It's when you count the hits a lot of the time, then you often say, yeah, God did this, or He led me to the right house or to the right job, or that kind of thing. It was very easy. 
uh, to rationalise it uh, after the event uh, and call it a miracle. But I wouldn't use the word like that f- now for, for something like that, so banal, as it were, because these things happen to non-Christians as well. So. so, Teddy, do you have a hard definition between miracle and providence? I do, and I distinguish providence um, in that I think it's when God is intervening with things in our life in a natural way. And so I'm going to say that providence, that has, uh, that's more of something that uh, believers are going to have an appreciation for the, the skeptic, the atheist, and possibly the agnostic won't have an appreciation for that because, by definition, if it's occurring in a natural way, how are you going to be certain or have a good amount of certainty that that's something that God is doing as opposed to just a coincidence? But again, for the Christian the way the religious context of it uh, is probably what will guide a Christian into thinking that providence has occurred in the sense that, for example, if one uh, prays for something very hard and and then the next day or soon after something that's pretty unusual happens, it's an answer to the prayer, then, a Christian would would have a good amount of uh, certainty, at least in their own mind, in their own belief system, that perhaps that was God um, granting a prayer for them. And there will probably, in certain Christians like me, you might not be 100% certain whether or not that was a prayer that was answered, but you might have a pretty good idea about it, and that can be a pretty uh, awesome feeling if if one thinks that one's prayer has been answered. But you know that's never going to pass muster for a skeptic. So here's, here's uh, where I want to open uh-huh. the floodgates of discussion a little bit for the first time, a little bit. Um, so as we're trying to define this and, and get this narrowed down a little bit, we've got two terms. We've got miracle and we've got providence. I will just go ahead and say the controversial thing. I don't believe in providence at all. Uh, I believe it's a cheat. In fact, I started believing this late in my Christian walk. Um, I think that providence is a weasel word. It's, it's a way for Christians to talk about acts of God that they know they can't prove. And they can just kind of keep God in the game and, and give God credit for things. Uh, it's a way for them to do it kind of dishonestly. But here's the thing. If God did it and it wouldn't have happened without God, I don't care whether you could see the trick done or not. It's a miracle. So you believe uh, that they're miracles or that they're not miracles. Um, and when we start mealy-mouthing about providence, uh, then I, I, think, I think the game is up. But where I want to open the conversation here is, so how, do we, how, how are we supposed to tell what a, what a miracle looks like? 
And, you know, whether we see something and a Christian calls it a miracle, can, do we, is there any criteria where we can say, oh, no, that's not a miracle, that's just providence? Or uh, how, do you, how do you even identify what we're talking about with a miracle? So we've all kind of defined it a little bit, and we've talked about the natural versus the not natural. Uh, but it, it's all kind of meaningless if we can't uh, all equally look at a, an event and say that's a miracle and that's not a miracle. And so without calling on anyone particularly... Uh, let's just see where the conversation goes here. Anyone want to jump in and tell me how I'm supposed to identify one of these things? Before we do, I have a question about prayer. Um, if, if Teddy doesn't mind a, a direct question. Sure. Okay. So I was taught uh, about prayer. Uh, and this was, this was done, by, by the way, in a, in a university-level theology class. Uh, would you agree that, um, that God can answer every prayer in one of three ways? To, to affirmatively answer the prayer, to say yes to the exact thing that you were requesting, to also uh, not answer the prayer by, by saying no, by not giving you the thing that you asked for directly, or by suspending uh, the answer to that prayer, and letting you have the thing that you specifically requested somehow later on. So to shorten those, it's uh, God answers every prayer. The three answers are yes, no, and wait a while. Well, you know, what we as humans would consider a prayer answered is getting what we want. Now, we've... I'm sure all have heard the uh, expression that God has his own plan. And just because we want something doesn't mean that God is going to give it to us. I, right. So those would be I, no's, to, uh, to right. be clear. That would be a no. I, 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 don't, I don't view, I, I know a lot of Christians uh, will talk about, oh, you know, ask and you shall receive and I've always had a problem with thinking like that because God is not a wishing well that you throw your penny into. God is not uh, the genie and I'm Aladdin and I have a lamp. That would make me God if I can just ask God anything and that God gives me what I want. Then I'm the God and he's my slave. So I don't view that uh, that prayer works in that way. Um, and so I can ask all I want for God to give me a million dollars. That doesn't mean that God's going to give it to me. And so if God doesn't, right, that would be a no. Yeah. That, I, and I would see that as well. My prayer has not been answered or, or my prayer has not been granted. Perhaps that's the better word for it. You know, he may answer it, right. and the answer so, may be no. <laughs> so, to, right. So we've got a we've got a situation here where we're saying God does answer prayers. No, right. Does does God ever, in your view, answer prayers? Yes. Sure. Okay. Does God ever, in your view, answer? You need to wait a while. I'm sure he does because okay. Uh, you know, those would kind of be his choices when he's deciding whether to grant right. a prayer, you know, like maybe not right now, 
just like every parent with their child, you know, hey, I want this toy. No, yes, or, you know, maybe at Christmas. So here's the problem. In a probabilistic way, mm -hmm. what you've done is exclude prayer from any supernatural possibility because those are also the natural outcomes of the things that we want, that we get them, we don't get them, or we have to wait for them. Well, that's why I refer to prayer as being, the granting of prayers as being providence because it's in that natural realm. And so, um, as I mentioned earlier, that's never going to um, have the degree of compelling objective evidence that is going to persuade a skeptic. So that's why I said that's kind of, for the enjoyment uh, of believers, but when we're raising something to the level of miracle, then then that is something that uh, you know does need that objective type of of evidence that needs to be scrutinized, because uh, you know, for example, David with Ganesh was talking about how he just doesn't care about Ganesh and even if it was a miracle. And I don't understand that kind of thinking because if, if somebody, if some God is uh, able to do something like that, something that is supernatural. Well, that to me, that's pretty attention grabbing. And I might want to know more about it because perhaps there are repercussions to not falling in line uh, and being a believer in that. Okay, God. so let me, let, me, let me just say the last paragraph that I have to say because David does need to, to move on and I don't want to hog the mic. But oh, this is I'm going this to is open conversation. So anyone okay? Else can well, jump Matthew and Sarah need to. Okay, good. So I want everybody else to, to jump in. This is going to be my last paragraph on this because the show no, does need will, to vote. You believe him? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to try. It's 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 a mic, people. I have I have an addiction. It's a thing. Of, you know, Mike's anonymous. So so here's here's my hopefully last paragraph so that Matthew and Sarah can jump in with you. Um, I think you're wrong to shift the topic to miracles. I think that it is, uh, it is easily as convincing if the Christian can prove providence that, that God somehow answers prayer. And that does a Christian good in a way that it doesn't do for atheists and skeptics. Christians get more of what they want because they have a God on the supernatural backbone and they can, you know, they can wind the gears of the universe through this prayer time, then, then that, is, that is every bit as important a part of the Christian story as, um, you know, Jesus turning water to wine. The thing that you can't do, and, and the thing that I think, by, by the you there, that's editorial, not you, Teddy, but you, the Christian. The, the thing that isn't done is the ability to separate providence from nature. So on that basis, I find it utter nonsense. 
that will be exactly my point as well. How do you tell the difference between something that happened as a sheer coincidence or, or good fortune and something that happened from the as a direct hand uh, of God, whether or not as a direct response to prayer? And if you can't tell the difference, then you can't call miracle. Well, not only okay, is it so, indistinguishable oh, from um, praying that, that they're not being a God at all. I mean, no and and maybe later and even yes can be still it's indistinguishable from a, a god being in existence or not in existence or t for praying to a milk drug jug i mean you could be thinking that uh, you've had a response from a from having prayed to a milk jug because something has or hasn't happened you know or mostly probably hasn't happened let's say um and then the other thing you, you said something teddy actually which is quite interesting you said i can understand that um, providence doesn't um convince skeptics i don't think it always convinces christians i mean i had doubts when I was a Christian because I just thought these providence things were a little bit well exactly that I couldn't distinguish them between God actually answering and not answering um, if you just say yes no and maybe uh, it covers all the eventuality so he's always answering but is he really practically speaking so that was my I think issue it has, I think it depends on what the odds are of the occurrence happening in terms of how convinced we can be if it was an act of God acting in a natural way. So uh, miracles are, because they would be supernatural occurrences defying the laws of nature, that's a, a kind of an easier call to make. But for example, with coincidences, if I run into my next door neighbor at the local grocery store, oh, wow, that's a coincidence. Now, if I run into my next door neighbor at the grocery store across town, that's even more of a coincidence. If I run into the neighbor out of state at a grocery store, wow, that's even more of a coincidence. If I run into that neighbor in a Russian grocery store in Russia, wow. <laughs> and if I prayed to have that right before seeing that neighbor, I was praying to God, asking to see my neighbor in the Russian grocery store. And lo and behold, there they are. Well, that is pretty odd defying, even though it is not supernatural. But, but I mean, if you have something that odd defying, especially uh, in connection to some sort of a religious context, like a person just prayed for that. Now, granted, I don't know that God uh, wastes his... Uh, efforts doing miracles uh, for silly reasons like that. But, you know, let's pretend it was something more monumental, like, you know. Winning the lottery? <laughs> that's, well, no, we could, that's... Uh, that's well, a lot of people greed, would pray, it would get right? them out of a lot of, uh, a lot of difficult situations, and they might be genuinely praying to God to provide. And yet it's an extremely rare event for one person but it does actually happen a very very rare event is not a miracle it's just a very very rare event i mean somebody has to win the the lottery that week and well, there's, another, sure there's another quite a lot of people pray for yeah. it sure sure <laughs> uh but i don't know that you know 
perhaps one has to look at the nature of the prayer. Uh, people praying to win the lottery, maybe they're very desperate for money, um, but you don't need to win a lottery to have food on the table. Uh, so there's a distinction, and I don't know that God is really involving himself in giving people millions of dollars. Uh, that seems a bit in excess. <laughs> yes. uh, what about the things that happen that are odds-defying that people don't pray for? So you, I, I see, agree. I bumped into a friend, bumped into a girl at the bottom of the, the uh, uh, what's that, not the Twin Towers, but yeah, the, the Twin Towers, are, uh, who's, who's on my course in the UK. I mean, you do you do find somebody on the other side of the world that you know or, or whatever. These things do happen. I'm Very asking you to distinguish. Right. How do you distinguish between those things that you said were providential because they were, I'll quote you, odds defying, and those things that happen that, that nobody prays for that are still equally odds defying? Well, uh, and again, I, I had mentioned that with providence, because if, if something is occurring in a natural way, you're not going to have, um, it, it, it's not ever going to be quite as compelling as something that is supernatural. However, let's talk about how we live our lives on a daily basis. We are constantly making decisions, choices, for example, when we get in our car every day, uh, we are taking a chance on getting killed in a, in a car accident. Uh, yet we still get in that car because we figure, ah, the odds are pretty good that at least not today I'm not going to get killed in a car accident. And so we take that risk. Well, when it comes to the issue of miracles, in, in my opinion, the whole purpose of a miracle is to evidence the existence of God. And the importance of that is, to, is for us as a people to decide whether or not we should put our faith and trust in God and fall in with what he wants us to do in order to reap our reward in the afterlife. And so there is risk involved with believing in God, and there is risk involved with not believing in God. And the risk involved with believing in God is that if you want to uh, honor God the best way that you can, if you want to uh, perhaps reap the grandest of rewards in heaven, you're going to try really hard to live the way he wants us to. And that could mean not doing a lot of things that you want to do, uh, a lot of things that God uh, objects to. Um, and so, you know, one might not be, quote, living life to the fullest in terms of what they want to do if they believe in God. So there's a risk in, you know, hey, if I'm wrong about God, then wow, I was, you know, I spent my whole life doing everything good and right and, and not doing the stuff I really wanted to do. 
Um, but the beautiful thing about it is that, uh, like with ethics, which in having communicated with many of the, the skeptics in the, uh, in the blog, all of, all of the skeptics I've spoken with, uh, in, including y'all, y'all talk about how y'all are uh, big on maintaining a set of nice, beautiful ethics. So, so then that is even more perplexing to me because if you're if you're going to pretty much live uh, in accordance with the rules that God wants you to live by, then what justifies taking the huge risk that you're wrong about God's existence and then having eternal consequences for that? Whereas, you know, I can understand more the atheist that's going to live large in this world and they're going to commit crimes uh, to the best of their ability and, and not try to not get caught. And they're going to just do all sorts of, you know, things that God doesn't like for us to do. Um, you know, just living life to the hilt. Uh, I can at least understand that perspective in terms of, okay, they figure we've got one life to live. Um, I'm going to just live it up you know, it's still knowing that they're, there's still, they might be wrong about things, but at least they're going to, you know, enjoy it while they've got it. So before, uh, before getting into Pascal's wager, which we might, if we have time in the podcast, I, I don't want to lose sight of the question that is on the table at the moment um, of identifying uh, miracles. And you, you uh, talk about the odds. Uh, you um, so I, I'm not a I'm not a mathematician, so I, I always get in trouble when I when I try to do math in public. But I'm I'm going to go there because it seems like uh, this is kind of where a lot of this rests for you, uh, and so I'm going to bring up something called the law of large numbers. Uh, which is to say that when the numbers get big enough, mind-bogglingly large enough, things things happen, uh, you know, prob- probabilistically that maybe would not happen in smaller numbers. Uh, someone put it uh, this way: uh, if if you're one in a million, there's seven thousand people on Earth just like you. Uh, it's it. Seven billion is such a large number, um, and so one in a million doesn't really mean much when you're talking about a number that large. In other words, there should be seven thousand people just like you if you were only one in a million. Uh, and so when you talk about well that that thing happening, it only has a odds of one in a million, and it was within a religious context. So w- what it sounds like is at some point you're embracing the science. And the math, but at a certain point, you you let that go, and you start embracing something else. But if you're going to embrace the science and the math at, with the big numbers, 
I'm sorry, with the with the easy numbers, uh, the macro numbers that we can grasp, you've got to hang on to it for the uh, law of large numbers too, when the probabilities get small. Because something happening in a one in a billion chance means that in a one in a billion events it should happen. And therefore, it is neither miracle nor providence. Um, what are the chances of you meeting that friend of yours in Russia after saying a prayer? I think the bigger uh, chances... Uh, she is stalking you, you should get a restraining order, and either you or she is a Russian spy. But it could also what happen... What if I didn't com- tell anybody it, I was going to It doesn't matter. Russia. It could also happen completely coincidentally, and we can say, man, that's a one in a, in a, in a billion chance. Great. It happened. That's, that, that's a billion events happened that day. Um, and so it oh. sounds like if you're saying, yeah, but if something really of low probability happens, then I'm going to throw away the science and I'm going to grab on a religion. But when low probability things happen, it's still science. It's still nature. And so I don't understand this emotional um, impulse to then say, well, that, that's a low probability thing that happened. I know that it can happen, but I'm going to throw away all of that and go with supernatural now. And, yeah, low probability is still nature. That's all that I'm saying. And I don't, I don't know why and, at some and point it's you special, throw it away. Right, and it's special pleads. Because the oh, I tried to point this out a few minutes ago. The only time Christians do it is when they prayed for the thing that's low probability. Otherwise, it's just ignored. It, it's counting the hits and ignoring the misses. Yeah, but uh, but we're talking about providence and miracles where they need to occur in a religious context. Otherwise, it's a fluke, right? Right, but a religious context doesn't take it out of uh, the probabilist, probabilistic universe. It right. You know, so just saying, oh, well, but I grabbed my rosary beads and prayed does not make it, does not then remove the thing you're praying for out of the natural law of probabilities. Right. But let's take this out of uh, the academic realm and bring it back. We're already out of the academic realm. But, but we have to remember this is real life. And when, you know, if the Christian God exists, there is a penalty for not, embracing him and Jesus. And so But if right, but if the Christian God exists, then he doesn't need providence to demonstrate himself to us. Right. And yeah, and before we get there, we have we we have to kind of put a bow somehow on the conversation of how do we recognize his deeds, which is what we're trying to to get at here. And what you're offering is, well, low probability events. Well, the world is full of low probability events. It has to be full of low probability events. So um, if what you're saying is that an act of God is any low probability event uh, that has even remotely a religious gloss, then I can't, I can't go with you on that. Because then every low probability event is a miracle. And as long as you know, we have billions of people on earth, the, the majority of them professing some kind of religious uh, belief and practice, then it's fairly high probability that a low probability event will will be of some religious nature. <laughs> so I just, I don't recognize any way to determine, and I am trying, by the way, um, 
I don't recognize out of anything that you're saying, and I'm trying to still man your argument, by the way, as, as best as I can to make it even better than what you're presenting. I'm just having a hard time trying to find any way of distinguishing a low probability natural event from something that you would call a miracle. And so I don't even get to, the, to Pascal's wager yet because I haven't seen an act of your God or you haven't given me a way of determining an act of your God. But no, remember, I, I am distinguishing providence from a miracle. So when we talk about miracles, we're talking about uh, the laws of nature being overpowered. Uh, and that is a much stronger argument to, you know, persuade a non-believer. That's why I said providence is more for the appreciation of the believers or the people that might be on the fence. And so that's just, you know, okay. so let me, part of the let, club. Let me ask or, you a better mm -hmm. question then. How do we know when the laws of nature have been overpowered? Well, the laws of nature, I mean, we pretty much, I'm not saying, you know, anything's possible. So, you know, maybe there are some laws of nature that we're not aware of, but we are all pretty uh, familiar with, you know, what's a normal occurrence. Uh, you know, if, if an apple started falling from a tree and then all of a sudden it starts going up to the sky and we don't see something underneath it that is causing it to go up to the sky. Well, you know, that doesn't look very natural. It's defying the law. Has anyone ever claimed to have seen that happen? I'm sorry? Has anyone ever claimed to have seen that happen? I, I don't know. I've, I've well, certainly then, never... Then why, why are we discussing a, a, a hypothetical well, which just, has I'm no reference to any example. conversation? I, well, because I, I'm giving an example of if if one were to see that, that is something that we would say, hey, that's not uh, natural. And so if yeah, we but what to the see skeptic that would say, Right, but what the skeptic would say is that's unusual. We should investigate it. Yeah. Because what you've what you've said is is actually right. So I want to I want to agree with you wholeheartedly. Where you say. The, you know, we would look at that and say, wow, that's unusual. Mm -hmm. Yes, we absolutely would. Every, every, you know, and I, I agree with Matthew that we're discussing this this completely hypothetical thing that, and, and we could be discussing well, some yeah, real-world example. Asking, but, but let me just, let me just put a bow on something's that. not natural? Well, right. And that was an example. And, and, right, but, but you haven't given an example of something that's not natural. You've given an example of something that's unexplained. Right. What I, what I would say to your example, in case you're wondering, is because I've seen a lot of YouTube videos. I've lost a lot of my life watching YouTube. I, I am ashamed to admit it. Um, people, people can do things <laughs> uh, on videos that are, that are very impressive, though. And I would say, well, we just didn't see the strings uh, pulling it. Um, you know, and maybe it was attached to a weather balloon that was in the clouds. And so it looked like the apple was rising. Or we could say that, well, that was a perfectly shaped apple uh, 
hot air balloon, and it was small, it was filled with helium, and it was rising. I mean, we can come up with all kinds of natural explanations for seeing an apple rise from the ground to the air. Well, what if it's in your backyard, and it's not somebody potentially manipulating a YouTube video? What if it's in your head? What if it's in your head? Hallucinations are a real thing. Of course they are. So we're so we can we can deal with those what ifs, but I think this is probably a good time uh, to uh, let Matthew's point stand and move to the next phase of the discussion, or at least add to the discussion. Uh, we don't have to let this go. Uh, Teddy, give us uh, maybe one or two or three uh, good examples of what you would consider. A miracle today that uh, that we can talk about and maybe consider the possibilities. So I know the shroud is one of them, and, and if you want to take some time to talk about that right now, uh, you can. But I would also like to, if you would, give more than one example, if you think there is more than one example of an actual miracle that we can examine and talk about. All right. Well, uh, you know, my number one thing is the shroud of Turin. I think that uh, that evidences uh, the miracle in terms of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the religious context of it was that Jesus had made uh, a claim, a provable claim. He, he had said uh, something to the effect of, you know, if his if the temple was destroyed meaning his body that he would raise it in three days and then lo and behold and we have the shroud and so the the beauty of the shroud of turin is that it's not like somebody just saw a religious statue cry blood or somebody has stigmata on their hands it is something that we have and that scientists, some of the top scientists in the world have examined and studied and it continues to be studied. So we have this physical thing that is here, in, well, it, not here, here, but in Turin, Italy, that, that uh, it's not, so it's not something we have to wonder whether it exists or not, we have it. The question is just, is it what it purports to be? So before, and, letting, before letting everyone loose on that, I just, I just had a couple of questions about that that you could answer for me very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, how does the shroud purportedly prove the resurrection of Jesus exactly? The way that it that it evidences the resurrection deals with the bloodstain evidence. Right, right. And I get that there's bloodstains. I get that there's an image. So let's take all of that as given. How does that prove resurrection? Okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm getting to that. Okay. So among the uh, the bloodstain evidence, it they are comprised of, almost all of them are blood clots, mm-hmm. not liquid blood. And these blood clots, when they have examined them microscopically, the edges, the perimeter, there are these raised crusts on them. Mm -hmm. And 
all of these crusts are undisturbed. They're pristine. Mm -hmm. And so that is what is unnatural because, okay, so we have a shroud. I'm not asking what's unnatural. Um, Having an image on a shroud seems unnatural to me. So I'm not not asking if it's unnatural. Well, somebody can paint it. But I'm I'm not asking any of that. I, I just want you to follow the the question assume the shroud is exactly what you say it is how does that demonstrate resurrection well i I was getting to that okay um so it when you have a well let me give you an example let's say you have a cut on your hand and there's blood Mm -hmm. and then you slap a bandage on it okay Later on, when you go to pull that bandage off, what happens? Some of that blood is going to be on the bandage. You're going to disturb the blood because the blood has kind of seeped into the bandage. And when you lift up the bandage, that's going to disturb the blood clot. So with the blood stains on the shroud, those are almost all blood clots you have this piece of linen that was that was laid over the body mm-hmm. and so right now in turin we have the the piece of linen but obviously unlike a mummy there's no body in there right. so either the body had to be separated from the linen cloth, mm-hmm. or the linen cloth has to be a forgery. No. Right? Like, well, yes, yeah, so the body could be separated from the linen by grave robbers robbing the linen, right? Well, yes, but okay. if that were wait, 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 wait. if mm-hmm. that were the case, you would see among all of these blood clots, you would see that they were disturbed by the pulling off of the linen from the body that would disturb the blood evidence, the clots, well, wouldn't that especially be true whether the perimeters the body was dead or alive. Pardon? Wouldn't that be true whether the body was dead or alive? Yes. Okay. So I don't see how that's evidence for anything. Well, no, no, but there's no body in right now. There's a shroud, right. but there's no body there. So how do you have, pristine perimeters on all of these blood clots yet there's not a body still attached to it right so someone carefully removed the shroud there's some miraculous blood clots but how does that show that he raised because if if he just follow me if he rose and he took the linen off himself he'd still be pulling the blood clots off so you still have to explain that no well uh, that's where the miracle is because how in the world do you get a whole linen cloth when you've got tons of blood clots all over you? How do you remove that and those, all of those perimeters remain pristine? I don't know. That's you tell me. However, however it would happen. That w- so it sounds like there are two miracles in there's the, there's the miracle of the resurrection, which we still haven't proved, the miracle of a cloth being removed from a body with clots on it, but, uh, you know, there's no that's what evidence pieces. That's what evidences the resurrection. And How does that evidence what, the resurrection? <laughs> I'm, because I'm still... how, how else are you going to remove all of that linen 
from those blood clots without disrupting those perimeters. But you would. Well, do, we don't, don't even know if it's it's human blood, do we? I mean, yeah. I think we had a conversation on the no, on the board, and you said it's not look, it's be, not been proved. Before, it's before unleashing blood. the herd on on this, this <laughs> is my, this is for my own edification because I've I've wanted to ask this for a while. Sure, I get what you're saying. I think, but that does not that does not speak to resurrection for me. So it let could me, be little tiny rodents that they just laid the cloth onto, and then the little rodents. I, I, I don't. Know. I don't even care how the blood got there. It just seems to me that if, okay, let's say it's me and I rose and I find myself wrapped up in some linen, and I I got some you know bloody parts on me that the linen is stuck to, and I take the linen off of me. What is the condition of that linen going to look like? Well, it's. It's going to look like that, but you're not going to have an image on there. And you're not going to have the perimeters of all of those blood clots intact. They're going to be uh, disturbed. You're going to, I mean, maybe a couple of them will be intact. Okay, Probably so, none so of them So what I'm saying is if, 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 if you can imagine a person rising from the dead and their linen would not look like the Shroud of Turin, why do you think that what the Shroud of Turin looks like suggests resurrection? <laughs> That's, I, I, don't, I don't make a connection to that with resur- resurrection. So let me give but, you another possibility. Because, ha- okay, what, David, uh-huh. uh, uh, people what, uh, have been hang studying. On. What if these things happened when Jesus died? Um, so, for instance, just, just trying to give the story as much credence as possible. I've thought about this mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, so during the death of Jesus, some weird things happened in the world, right? Uh, we had a, sure. we had a, a, a strange eclipse. Uh, we had the temple curtain rending, and we had people coming out of graves. So let's just say this: there was some weird radiation going on in the world at the time of his death. These things didn't happen when he rose. Let's let's be clear: these things happened when he died, and so it could be from a theological perspective, that all of these images and weird things on the linen happened when he died. It would not indicate his resurrection at uh, all. It would simply no, indicate no. his death. I'd have, I'd have to disagree with you then, there. Sh- then make the connection. I'm going to give you another chance here. Connect the dots between the linen and resurrection. The, the connection is, is that during, I mean... It's not like I can tell you what the resurrection process is, okay? But however it occurred... We got 10 resurrections whether- in the Bible. We don't have any shrouds with this kind of um, indication. So I actually think we can say something about the resurrection process from a theological perspective, and it doesn't include this. Well, with Lazarus, that was Jesus doing it, and that wasn't necessarily for... Where God Where was trying shroud? to. Well, God, God only figured He needed to show one piece of evidence for the main person, okay. Jesus. Well, He had two God isn't showing the shroud. He, the yeah. what? The shroud wasn't even a first-century thing. Where, where were the? Yeah. If there was a shroud when Jesus Look. rose, why didn't that make it into the Bible? Well. Look, that. God has left this shroud in the possession of the largest collection of child abusers in human history, and they keep it hidden in a hole. No, God didn't leave it to the, the Pope. Who has it now? The, 
pope is the technical the sitting pope who, is the right, owner but, but right. it okay. was and, the and if time god the wanted Duke it to probably had belong to someone else it could right i mean god, god didn't can give it to him well, i mean when, okay wait a minute when did the shroud show up because it should have shown up at the at the tomb when the women went to see Jesus. There's no mention of a magic shroud there. I think they would have noticed. I think they would have mentioned it to the apostles. I think they would have said, see here, here's the shroud. The Bible does reference uh, cloths being there. It doesn't, it doesn't reference magic cloths being there. <laughs> so I am, still, I am still at a loss. It a, doesn't to- need... It doesn't need to because the magic cloth is still with us. Well, no, there's a mundane cloth in the Bible and a magic cloth today, and you still haven't connected the dots between the cloth and resurrection. So yes, I have. I don't want to listen. I'm going to give you one more chance. Then I'm going to give you one more chance, and I will not interrupt you, and then I will unleash the the horde. But. I wanted to have this conversation for a little bit because you need to understand why people don't give a damn about the shroud. Um, beyond that, and after after everyone has had their bite, and if there's anything left of you, please, people, leave something left of her. Uh, <laughs> I want to know what other miracles you've got in your bag because the shroud isn't getting it for me, and you're not really selling it. But it, take another stab, anyway, of telling me how you connect shroud with resurrection? To buy it. Okay, so tell me how shroud proves resurrection. Make that simple again, connection for me. Again, okay. People have had, and you know what, David, you yourself can do experiments to get a bunch of blood, as have other folks, and and try it out for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Put a bunch of. A blood clot somewhere, put some linen on it, then lift the linen up and see if you can get all of those blood clots to have perfectly intact perimeters. Great. I can't. That, that I, is I where can't. How does that prove resurrection? Because something supernatural occurred to where the body, I mean, we were only surmising the body either disappeared somehow got out of the cloth but still left those perimeters intact that's where there's something supernatural that has been left for us for scientists but why is the supernatural resurrection because a body got out also the bodies clock, get out all the time the supernatural thing could have happened before the grave was robbed okay. why yes, does it point the, to resurrection the other beautiful thing about the cloth is that it evidences rigor mortis which of course would mean somebody's dead mm-hmm. the the in the bible where they talk about when the the guards used the spear mm-hmm. to check to see if jesus was dead the bible talks about how blood and water mm-hmm. came out of that right. wound. You keep proving Jesus and, is bit dead. How and does that's this prove resurrection? <laughs> Again, the crusts, the crusts, Crust, the okay. intact crusts. That's what takes you, uh, That and that also evidences... Uh, I'm just going to cut it off there. No I'm, not bi- I'm not biologist enough to understand how crust equals resurrection, but I do open the floodgates... 
uh, to everyone else to ask their questions because and, no and you should know there. that that um, Teddy here is not just some random shroud enthusiast. She knows a thing or two about her shroud, and so if you like me have some questions about this, uh, hit her up. Uh, go. It's pretty simple for me. Why didn't God, if he's going to leave us this evidence, why didn't he um, make the blood samples uh, detectable as being human or or not? Because I don't even think we know whether it's genuinely human blood or not. Is that right? Yes, you are right. At, at one point, they thought, uh, what our understanding was, is that it was human blood. But now... Uh, science has become a little bit more sophisticated and they're starting, I believe the term is cross reactivity. So now, I mean, the science says that it is real blood. The science uh, says we're not even sure. No, we're sure that it's... No, 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 don't go there. We're not oh, sure. Oh, I'm going there. <laughs> then, then, then flat out you're lying because that's no, not what not science lying. says. No, the science is not certain. You won't but even, it Matthew, wait, wait, even, let, even let, if it's not certain, why not make it certain? You know, if you're going to go to all the trouble of leaving the shroud, make let's the evidence good. Let's be That's sure, it. Matthew, let's <laughs> be sure that we're talking about the same thing. Because uh, we, we might be disagreeing where there's no disagreement. Are you saying that there's still uh, uncertainty in terms of what is provable, that it's blood or human blood? That it's blood at all. Okay, well... If, if the science knows that it's blood, A, we'd be able to know what, what mammal it came from, and B, if it's human, we'd be able to know what blood type it is. Can you answer those two questions? I can. Can you even tell me what blood type it is? Okay, I, well, I, I can answer your questions. What I blood type is it? They used to think they knew yeah. the blood type, AB. Yeah, But really? now, with advanced scientific knowledge they realize that additional tests would have to be done in order to ascertain that. Dr. Kelly Kearse uh, is uh, a big, you know, has written a number of articles talking about how with our advanced knowledge about cross-reactivity, we can no longer, whereas we once thought that uh, it was primate blood, there are... are articles that have been written about the shroud where some people say it's human blood. The Shroud of Turin research uh, project, the team, the STERP team, they never said it was human blood. They said primate. But that was 1978. We've learned a thing or two. So, um, Yes, we don't know. We can't ask. No, if they did tests on it now, if the Pope would give permission for further testing, then they. Uh, my understanding is that they should be able to ascertain um, whether it's human blood or not. But you know what? The, the scientific tests that have already been done on it ascertain that it's blood. Even Hugh Ferry in the, the fantastic Shroud Wars debates that Dale had with you and Alan, 
even Hugh Ferry, uh, who, you know, strongly contests the authenticity of the shroud, he concedes that it's real blood. All of the blood tests that were known uh, back in 1978 and still to today, all of those tests, especially for aged blood, ancient blood, all confirm that it is real blood. Now, in terms of the human aspect, when I first learned what Dr. Kierce was saying about how we can no longer confirm that it's primate blood, I'll admit it, even though it didn't shake my uh, belief in the authenticity of the shroud because of all of the other evidence that exists, I'll confess it did, you know, just caused me to just feel like, oh my goodness, we've lost a, an important piece of evidence in terms of helping to convince others about its authenticity. And I was thinking about it that whole night. And then I was, I came to the conclusion, you know what? Yeah, I'd rather have that evidence than not, but it doesn't really matter in the sense that statistically it doesn't matter because if that is not human blood then the shroud has to be a fake and when you get into the details of what it would take for that shroud the way it is to be a fake that's when you meet the standard that David Hume explains and describes, it would be more miraculous to believe that a forger was capable of creating a shroud that people today are unable to come up with. That people today, with all of our advanced knowledge, cannot figure out how the image was done, how the bloodstains are there without the crusts being removed. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I really am. Because the reason why we haven't been able to determine how it was made is because the access that's required to replicate it just hasn't been allowed. It really is that simple. Well, and also, someone like Kelly Curse, I believe, is a Christian and obviously quite um, highly involved in it. But I think you said yourself he was agnostic, so he's not finding the evidence overwhelming either, presumably. He, my, I mean... My understanding is that he has not taken a position on it, and I'm not sure why that is. I don't know. Because he is a scientist, he may be trying to, you know, protect his uh, credibility. I don't know. I don't know. I know. But if there's evidence, there's evidence. I mean, he should be able to take, anyone can take, this is the problem I have with it. I think that why go to all the trouble of preserving the shroud and then make it unaccept, unaccessible and the evidence um, debatable? Because clearly it is. There are people on both sides um, of the debate. There's people who don't, who are non-believers who think it's authentic. There's those who are believers who think it's, who aren't pronouncing, etc. So it should be, I mean, why go to all that trouble to leave if God wants us to have the shroud as evidence? it should be slam dunk evidence. I mean, it, it, you know, I'll believe if it's slam dunk evidence on the shroud, I'll believe again. It, it is. Issues, but <laughs> it, 
you ask me, it is slam dunk evidence. But oh, Kelly Curse, so Kelly Curse, exactly. Kelly Curse is a Christian, and he's not even <laughs> coming out with it. The foremost but, yeah. shroud expert, Barry Schwartz. Teddy. I ask him directly. Uh, he does not believe that the shroud represents a miracle. He does believe that it's uh, uh, intriguing. He um, mm-hmm. he has some theories on how the image uh, would got there, although he didn't. Uh, give them to me on air when I was talking to him. But uh, we have experts who have handled this thing saying they don't believe the way you do. Will you at least acknowledge or can you at least see how how someone can look at the evidence and not agree with you? Well, of course I can see how they look at it and don't agree with me. And, and still be There's reasonable human beings. There's a question as beings. to whether it's reasonable. No, I don't uh, think it's reasonable. Okay. Teddy, can I ask you a question? I've, sure. I've been sitting on this for a while. Uh, I want to ask you about a particular kind of reasoning error. So occasionally we hear people say, you're, you're from the South. You're from a, the similar mm-hmm. part of the world that I am. So Southwest. You're, you're, but yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So you know, we'd, we'd probably have a little tribal conflict, but the views are largely <laughs> similar. So would you agree that it's a reasoning error if I say, we can put men on the moon, we ought to be able to cure cancer? Do you agree that that's a reasoning error? Yes. That just because we can do that. I mean, I, well, I mean, we ought to be, you know, that leaves things open. Okay, so you so we do have some basis for agreeing that just because we can do one thing, just because we can put a person sure. on the moon, doesn't mean that we should be able to create warp drive or cure cancer or whatever. This well, is why I don't care about the shroud of courage. I mean, I'm going to give a damn about semantics it. here. If well, we hold have on. Let me just let me just put a bow on this for the listener, and then I, I will go back on mute, and you can say whatever you want. Um, this this idea that there's this. Uh, religious piece of cloth that is somehow magic in a religious context. I don't care. I don't care whether Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Why not? It Why has absolutely, I'm, I'm answering. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether someone can live forever or whether someone can be in all places at all times or whether someone is all powerful or does or doesn't have an eternal torture chamber or someone that can read our minds or co-inhabit our bodies. I don't care. Because all of those other claims have to be proved on their own right and not through adoption of the Shroud of Turin. Back on mute. Why, why do they have to be proved, all of the other claims in their own right? Why can't the Shroud of Turin be the ultimate evidence of uh, the Shroud of Turin, the way I see it, you just had the reasoning error. The You're promoting the reasoning error. Forget the reasoning error. That, that On this show, everybody likes to throw in, oh, that's this fallacy and that's this. Hey, I'm all for, you know, good reasoning. But let's all get into the real world where we have to make decisions. And, you know, we're constantly making risk Sorry, my example analysis. was the real world. Sorry, yeah, my no, example was the real world. We do put okay. people on the moon. We have not cured cancer. And you're not going to get away with rephrasing my words. That was a real world I, example. You agreed it was a reasoning error. I, I've showed you how it applied to the shroud. No, I said that there's some, some semantical differences. For example, 
if we can put a man on the moon, that means humans are capable of brilliance. And that same brilliance, yes, does mean, and we have already started curing cancer. So, yeah, the, the answer is yes. And also, of course, here's a, a reasoning error. Just because we haven't done something yet doesn't mean that we won't in the future, right? That's exactly right. And the child of Turin probably has a natural explanation, and you're admitting to it, but you don't know it. I am saying that getting back to what David Hume, the atheist, was saying. In Happy terms to talk about what, Hume because he always adopted the lesser miracle. Always. Yeah, look, it was two paragraphs below what you what posted on Skeptics and were. I am, I am adopting his very stringent standard for establishing So am I, which includes adopting the lesser miracle position. And I'm, that is his just choice of biases. Well, um, and you're choosing your choice of biases. I am, I am saying, here's the thing. And, and the other thing is, is that he said, go where the evidence leads. He just made the mistake of thinking that the evidence is always going to lead to the natural explanation. But I don't accept that. Well, I then, say... Then let's pick up right there then, since it seems that we're not going to come to uh, any new faith based on the shroud. Can you give us an example of another one or two or three or however many you'd like to present miracles, things that you would consider actual miracles, not just providence? Um, well, I would take... I would. I would say that the creation of the universe is a miracle. I don't know that I believe in a whole lot of miracles. Uh, okay. Why would you Why would you say the creation is a miracle? Just, just go with that one. Well, I mean, I can't. I, I think that there was intelligent design. Right, but intelligent involved. design is not a miracle. Uh, well, I, I mean, think just, in terms just of most broadly, creating that. most broadly speaking, a very intelligent person uh, creating, uh, you know, making something like a universe it depends on what miracles he had prior, uh, miracles, uh, materials he had prior to that. Uh, but I, I suspect that humans could create a, a universe uh, given given enough time and material. So. Just, uh, just, well, just using, just kind that. of using, using hey, your. Hey, David, anything's possible, so, but you so, know. So tell me how creating a universe, how the universe being here is a miracle. I mean, there are ways that you might can state this that can get to miracle. Uh, it's but, creating life. Uh, create, uh, and, and by universe, I mean everything in it, which would include life, mm -hmm. and you know. Even atheists, it's usually the atheists, You're although there are plenty. There's, there's zero ways that that can happen naturalistically. Creating life from non-life? Well, I mean, we're using the word creating kind of loosely. I'm, I'm giving you as much of your language as possible. Generating. But the, but the How about generating the fact that life, life is from non-life? We, we agree that life is here. Mm -hmm. You're saying that that's a miracle. How is that a miracle? Well, where did it 
come from? How did it spring You're forth? You're answering a question with a question. That's that's just answering it with ignorance. I've but got as that's... much I've got as much ignorance as you do. In fact, I might okay, have but, more. So do but I win? Just remember, there is an exception to the argument from ignorance, and the exception to it is when you've got scientific evidence where people have been researching something for a long stretch of time, qualified credible people. And uh, that is an exception. And so people have well, been... You haven't proven that that exception yeah. applies to creation of the universe. Really? How much, no. You've done nothing to answer how, how the question. Much, how, much time, how much time do we get for that exception? So if, they, if smart people haven't answered it in 100 years, then does it go to miracle or do we get 1,000 years or do we get 200 years? How long before we have to throw up our hands and say, well, it's a miracle? Well, for as long as life has existed, nobody has shown we've only had modern that science life for the can last be created bit from here. non-life. We, we've only had modern science here for the last little bit. <laughs> so I, I, I okay. think you're being a little bit unfair. How long uh, do scientists get a shot at it before we have to take it away and say, okay, it's a miracle, guys. It's a wrap. <laughs> okay, but let me bring you back down to away from academics. And back to reality. Okay, in this in this back to reality, are you going to explain to me how the universe being here is a miracle? Because I asked you to present to me what you thought was a miracle. Because we have not seen science with all of our advancements going to the moon. We have not seen life be created from non-life. So somebody, an unmoved mover. Even you, David, I remember saying in one of the podcasts where I almost fell out of my chair, said that you think that you pretty much could go with there having been an unmoved mover. I didn't so say an unmoved mover. I said a first mover, in, which, a in first this, mover. which in this case would be like an advanced alien civilization. And uh, what creating... basis do you have to think that there's an advanced alien civilization? I don't have you have basis. none. But huh? I don't have any basis, but I, I, I didn't so say that. So why would you pull that out of your hat? I, well, it didn't come out of my hat. Would you like to know exactly where it came from? I think <laughs> I know where it came okay. from. Because, okay, well, just, just being precise here. Uh, so I did not, um, I didn't say that I believe that that's where the universe came from. I just said that it would not scar me or shock me if some advanced alien race, uh, you know, was the first mover for this universe. That's... That's not actually something that I would say is impossible. I don't, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know that it is or not. me it's very convenient for an atheist that you naturally glom on to the idea that aliens would do it when we have a shroud with lots I of evidence glom on to the idea that it. aliens would do Ugh. it. I just said that, that it's, it's possible. The Christian God exists. The aliens so could have produced your shroud. In all, if, the, if the Christian God exists, he can show up and answer these right. questions. I mean, so he, in just, all of before, your before opening it in up, logical reasoning, <laughs> why do you do jump you, to aliens? Do you, agree, do you agree that if the Christian God exists, he can show up and answer these questions? Sure. He okay. could. Okay. He so, could do whatever well, he wants. Before, before but he doesn't. This, before opening this up a little bit more, I just want the record to show what I ask you for was for you to produce, you know, just something else that you thought was a miracle. And here you've produced another very highly debatable thing. 
Um, and so where I kind of want to open up the discussion to next is what we on the panel would consider a better miracle. So, um, Y'all are going to pull up baloney stuff. Yes, uh, we are. Uh, of course. And I'm going to agree with you. Well, we've got the Shroud of Turin already on the table. We're just matching the nonsense. It's more like South me. Just pulling scientists from Los Alamos National Laboratory Now all you're doing is ad hominem attack. This is nothing but ad hominem attack. I didn't throw an ad hominem attack. Hold, hold. I did uh, do a little bit of writing about what I think would be a better miracle, and it might be somewhat productive just to have some conversation over the types of things that might be more convincing. I mean, are are we? Oh, you're going to be picking the baloney are, stuff. Can't mate. Hey, and the shroud just, isn't. You just no, made the a, shroud isn't. You just made two thickly. Uh, sliced South meat sandwiches. Um, and those of us from the South know what that is. I am going to make some bologna now. Uh, you may have some or you may mute your mic. I am going to offer what I believe would be a better miracle for me because obviously the shroud, the shroud is a good miracle for you and it seems to do the job. I don't know why it does, but it seems to do the job for you. Science. So, Science. So compelling for me, science from so renowned world experts. That's what compels it. it. So for me, a better miracle would be one that has some lasting and positive consequences on the world. This is because the claim of God is not simply that he's powerful. Any genie is powerful. The claim of God is that he is good and loving and wants everyone to be saved. And uh, we extrapolate a God that does not want uh, more suffering in the world that needs to be. And so I would need to see the kinds of miracles. Who says that, that God does I would need to see the kinds suffering. of miracles that produced that kind of result. And these are not the kinds of miracles that Christians present to me. The kinds of miracles that Christians present are no more consequential uh, to me than Ganesha's drinking milk. And, and this is why I just don't care if there were some powerful being that can make statues drink milk. And I don't care if there's some powerful being that can uh, make perfectly uh, rounded blood clots. That, that, that does not, in fact, cure any disease, just pick a disease, any disease, diabetes. Um, I'm diabetic. I, I would love to see that magically cured, or better yet, have never seen an instance of it uh, at all. I would love Many to have, diseases I would have love been to, cured. I would love to see when Jesus cured the blind man that he said, you know what, not just this man, but all men. No one will be born blind in this world. Uh, that would have been an amazing feat. Uh, it would have required no artifacts. It, it, that okay, would have, well, that would why, have been incredible. Why do all of the scientific advancements Ex not me. count in that direction? Ex excuse me. That would be the kind of miracle that would make sense to me. That would be the kind of miracle that would make me look twice at this God, look twice at the miracle, examine it a little bit more closely, and then maybe take up 
uh, that uh, wager from Pascal that you were referring to before. But as long as we're talking about the kinds of miracles uh, that uh, act on pieces of cloth that are that that we can't fully examine, uh, or that purportedly cure one person's uh, broken leg that uh, that the world does not know about. Uh, or or things that just, you know, God, I prayed and God gave me a good parking spot. If this is the power of your God, and this is the, these are the things he cares about, screw that guy. I need a miracle more consequential than that. That is for me. Sarah, is there a type of miracle that would make you raise your head and look twice? Oh, I'm going to have to go with the amputee cliche i'm afraid i think if you if god healed an amputee then maybe maybe i would reconsider what the whole do you thing. mean by amputee what if he uh cleared the cataract up in somebody would that be the same as curing an amputee for you i don't know <laughs> i just say i'm i i'm actually the bar was set so low in previous year you know previously it would have just had to be convincing to me and that was it it could have been my own personal shroud my own personal feeling my own personal experience would have been sufficient now now i guess the bar the bar's a little bit higher and i suppose yeah, something like the amputees all started growing back their limbs i would think so is, i tell you see, what i tell you what there's this arm. week this week, we've had the perfect opportunity. I don't know if anyone else has been following what's been happening in Bethel Church in Ca- in California, um, but it's yes, been there's yeah there's been um, unfortunately one of the leaders, little girls, uh, died at two quite suddenly last week. Um, obviously, a horrific, tragic. Um, uh, unexplained death and obviously thoughts with the family because it's just an awful thing to go through however um they felt that the god was telling them that uh, this little girl was going to be raised from the dead so the entire church and ninety thousand people on um I think uh, maybe not quite 90,000 people, um, but, you know, several thousands of likes on Instagram, on Facebook. Everybody's following it. Everybody's praying all around the world. There's people in Venezuela. There's people doing dances for it. Uh, They're holding meetings every night. Everybody's getting whipped up into a frenzy. It's actually quite disturbing to watch because the poor mother is on stage in God knows what state, but she's in some form of denial up there, just prancing around, thinking that waving her arms and 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 singing loudly etc is going to bring this poor child back it's it's distressing to watch and frankly i think mental health services should have been mental health services should be have been yep. dispatched um, and, but, and by know, the way if they raise this little girl yeah handing us her onesie isn't good enough Right. However, she has been pronounced dead with a death certificate and she is in a morgue. Uh, but, you know, they these people truly, truly believed. And there is people saying, well, I'm standing with you. I believe. Breathe, child. Breathe. Get up, little girl. They're quoting the um, the Jairus's daughter um, quote. There is much faith. Anybody who dared say this seems a little bit strange was like, well, if you haven't got faith, step away. Just go away. This is going to be one with worship. Day after day, her mother was on there saying... Day three is a great day for a resurrection. Oh, sorry, day, five. day five, yeah, day three, four, five. We've stopped at day five, six. Now they've. Uh, it's been appalling to watch. Absolutely horrific. And I just wonder what the come down is for the family because when the adrenaline wears off, when all the hype, because this is all it is, they have whipped themselves up into a frenzy. Uh, when all that dies down, she's not only going to have to deal with the reality of the situation that her daughter's died, but also. Um, 
all the hype and her faith collapsing probably that Jesus let her down because, you know, they were not just, I've got a hunch that God does these things. This was absolutely to be stood upon and one with worship were the words they were going to say. They were coming against this thing. Now, um, yeah, it's just, uh, that would have been a good miracle. Uh, God had all the, uh, the, there's the press getting involved. There's the death certificate. She's in a morgue, et cetera, et cetera. Raise that child six days later and, that that would be a fairly uh, fairly convincing miracle, I think, um, but it's not happened, and they finally, finally, thank goodness, stopped the craziness and calmed down, and have issued a statement saying that they are now preparing for a um, memorial service. But I just wonder what the faithful, all these people who've been there, saying, you know, I stand, I believe, I've had a dream. So many people had dreams of this child uh, walking and standing up again, and um, I mean, you know, uh, and it's just not happened. And I just wonder what that does to to people's faith and. Um, and view of God is like, and well, it would also bring up lots of questions. God lets 4,000 children a day die of starvation. And why pick up this one little girl from California? And, you know, it would it would raise other questions anyway. So uh, um, I don't know. It's, but that was pretty appalling to watch. Matthew, I was just what would it, what kind of miracle would you rather see? Um, obviously, a piece of cloth doesn't do it. Obviously, the creation of the universe doesn't do it. Your bar is way high, Matthew. My my bar is high because I've seen way too many failures. And we, we need to be able to test things properly. If God really is real, then his uh, um, evidence for him needs to meet a pretty decent standard. Because it, if God is real, then it changes everything. Quite, And I literally mean everything. It's quite telling that when... Um, oh, sorry, I'll rewind a bit. Um, when I said at the beginning, when you asked about for a miracle, I said it needs to be something we, we can confirm, can't be explained uh, naturally. And that is the standard by which I hold. People do amazingly um, recover from close to death, or sometimes we even have stories of people have been uh, declared dead and then uh, apparently recover from that. So, you know, we're beginning to learn now in in um in in medicine that um people can survive being technically uh dead um in a really cold state for a significant period of time you know people have fallen into frozen lakes being pulled out what 40 minutes later and somehow been revived you know and it wasn't that many years ago where that would have been considered a miracle but we actually now know that the cold has an amazing uh, life preserving quality to the point where if people are in a state of medical shock they actually uh, pump uh, chilled uh, IV fluid through their veins to cool their body core down really slowly because that buys the people on the operating table one or two hours of time to save this person's life. It's no longer a miracle. It's something that we we know, know naturally. I think it's quite telling that when pressed for something that's an example of a miracle, we get questionable things like the shroud, which is highly questionable, or like the existence of the universe, which again is something that we really don't fully understand. Um, and miracles always go, and their life is given uh, by things which we don't fully know. And I need something that's an awful lot better than that. You know, miracle needs to be something that we can show can't be done any other way, which is why I like Sarah's answer about a, a limb regrowing. You know, okay, we know a lizard can grow its tail, so to see a mammal grow a limb, okay, possibly how, how it's technically impossible. That, how can we know how what? Do we know, 
how do we know that that is technically impossible in terms of a limb regrowing? If, I mean, with what you were describing, uh, which, you know, we've all read stories about how now, you know, we see sometimes people are in the ice, you know, in ice water for a long stretch of time. So scientific anomalies sometimes after a while end up, you know, we end up be- becoming more knowledgeable about them and understanding things. I don't dispute that, not not one bit. Uh, but the thing is, it, it, for, for somebody who does not want to believe, you can see a limb regrowing and there's going to be something that you come up with, oh, somebody must have uh, put something with LSD in my drink and I hallucinated it. I mean, there was always going to be something to for the person who does not want to believe. And then one has to kind of delve into why is that? Because if one is just objective with evidence, scrutinize the evidence. And yeah, if I saw a limery growing right in front of me, I'd, I'd be pretty convinced of that but again who knows there what, could be reason it was a hindu guru <laughs> That's what i was gonna say yeah. who uh who regrew the limb would you become hindu if if i saw uh if i was told that somebody well i mean i'd have to have really good evidence for it. i'm not going to take it on well what if uh, the evidence just, was as good as the shroud evidence Look, I'd go where the evidence points. So you would become a Hindu? Under certain circumstances, if that's where the historical, the scientific evidence goes. Because, again, the shroud Are you familiar with uh, Satya Sai Baba? No, I'm not. He's one of my favorite Hindus. He's like the, uh, the, the... second or third coming of Jesus. I don't know how many times Jesus has come. There was David Koresh, and so, I mean, there's a lot of comings of Jesus. I don't know. But he's one of them, and he's a guy uh, who could not only perform many uh, up-close miracles, but he raised the dead at least twice. Um, there is There are interviews of uh, the He allegedly, were, I'm allegedly sorry, there were interviews of people dead. he raised. Uh there, you know, to the extent that documentation existed, we I think we have better documentation for the resurrections of Satya Sai Baba than we do of Jesus. Yet you are a Christian and you stubbornly refuse to become a Hindu. Well, what's the evidence of the resurrection? The evidence of has been around for a long time. How come you haven't looked into it by now? Aren't you a real? How seeker? come I've never even heard of them? Aren't you, I? I don't know. I, I'm starting to question whether you are really honest about seeking. I'm not a. Seeker. I've, okay. I've always said I'm not a seeker. I believe that I have found <laughs> what the truth is. You're taking away and... some of my fun here. <laughs> this podcast is in two parts. Please flip the record over to side B. In the event that you are not listening on a vinyl record, please search for part two of this discussion in a podcast feed near you.